Luke chapter 22, Jesus Christ is still in the upper room, and he has something to discuss with Peter. Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he, Simon, said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou hast Thrice denied that thou knowest me. Come all the way down to verse 54. Verse number 54. Then took they him. This is after they arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then they took uh, took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were sat down together... Peter sat down among them, but a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles this morning. I heard a story years ago of Curtis Hudson was the one that told the story about an old preacher that lived out in the country and he had been preaching in a little old country church way out in the in the countryside. He had driven miles and miles and miles to get out to this little country church to preach on a weeknight and when he got there there was only a handful of people there and and so he he preached to the people as best he could, and just a few people there, and uh, wrapped up the service, got back in his car, and he was driving uh, all the way back to his home. And he said as he was driving, he said he sensed that Satan was sitting right there in the passenger seat beside him. And Satan was whispering in his ear, says, you're such a fool. You drove all that way out there into the country, And there was just a small handful of people that showed up, and they really didn't care what you had to say. 
And, and, and you, you think that made it, you think that made any difference in their lives? And he said, you, you know that one person that, uh, lifted his hand and said he wanted to get saved? He didn't get saved. What a, what a joke. What a waste of time. You're such a fool. The preacher said he got to the point where he couldn't take it any longer, so he pulled his car over to the side of the road, stopped, put it in park, turned off the engine, opened his door, got out of his car, he walked around the back of the car and to the passenger side, and he opened up the door, and he said, Satan, get out. He said, I'm the one that pays the payments on this car every month. I'm the one that buys the gasoline and puts in it. You're not riding free anymore. Get out. And he stepped back, and he paused, and then he slammed the door, and he walked back around, and he got back in his car, and he drove on home singing a good gospel song and rejoicing in the Lord. You know what that old country preacher knew? That old country preacher knew that Satan is real. He's as real as you are. He exists somewhere in the universe right this very moment. We're grateful he's not omnipresent. But we do recognize he's really fast. And he can get all over the place. And we know he's real. And we know that he attacks Christian people. And we know he discourages Christian people. And Peter's about to find out just how real Satan is. You know, we like the story in the Bible about Job and how that Satan went to, the, to God and said, God, Job doesn't really serve you because he believes in you. He only serves you because you've given him lots of good stuff. I mean, he's one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's got a wonderful family. Everything's going perfect in his life. God, the only reason he worships you is because you've allowed him to have a lot of good things in life. And then God permitted Satan to deal with Job. And at the end of the story, we find out that Job believed God because he believed God. He worshipped God not because he had good things. He worshipped God when all the good things were taken away. He worshipped God when he didn't have any good things. And we learned that Satan was real in Job's life. And Satan attacked Job, but his faith didn't fail. He still worshipped God. We go to the extreme on the other end of the Bible. You know, Job uh, reflects in, in the very early parts of human history. We go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and the Bible tells us, gives us a little, a little outline of Satan and where he's been and what he's done. And, and we learn from that passage in Revelation 12 how that Satan is still going into the presence of God, just like he did at the early part of human history with Job. Satan still goes into the presence of God, and he accuses Christian people to God. He's been the accuser of the brethren for thousands of years. He is very, very real. Has he dealt with you lately? Has he been around your home? Has Satan been a challenge in your life? Has he attacked your faith in Jesus Christ? This portion of God's Word in the upper room, just hours before Jesus will be 
arrested and the day before he will be crucified, Peter is going to be taught by Jesus Christ some important things about Satan because Peter was about to go into a battleground worse than anything he'd gone into in his life. And the attacks that Peter faced are no less real than the attacks that people today face. Because Satan is real. He is a person. He was created as an angel and fell from his angelic purpose in life as a worshiper of Jehovah in heaven. And he became God's arch enemy and the accuser of everything that God is for. Well, Jesus is meeting with the 12 apostles in the upper room. We learned last week how this group of apostles are not uh, cutting edge, uh, ready to roll uh, apostles that are going to evangelize the world. They've got their problems. And we saw last week how they were fighting with each other in spite of the fact that Jesus had just revealed to them that he was about to suffer and die. And yet they were so focused on themselves, they're fighting over who's the best. These guys have a lot of work yet that needs to be done in their lives. And then after Jesus Christ has dealt with them, as we saw in last message, how Jesus dealt with them over the issue of their pride and arrogance, Jesus turned to Peter. Peter was the leader of the group. He was often recognized as the leader, the one that stepped forward and kind of like the spokesman of the twelve apostles. And Jesus Christ turns to, to Peter, and Jesus Christ tells Peter what's about to happen in his life. Satan is going to attack him in a severe time of spiritual attack. And Jesus Christ is preparing Peter for what's about to happen. So let's turn our attention to this to this episode in the life of Jesus Christ in the upper room. And I want you to uh, observe with me the two main characters in this drama. Uh, and the first main character, of course, is Satan. And the second main character is Jesus himself. And here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn today that whenever Satan hinders, Jesus helps. And that is a great lesson that Peter needed to learn and that each of us need to learn in our personal lives. That whenever Satan shows up to hinder us, Jesus shows up to help us. Whenever we're attacked by Satan, Jesus Christ is available to enable us to not fail in our faith. Well, let's look at this character, Satan, the hinderer of people. We, we call him the adversary. He is stalking Peter. The Bible, Peter will later write uh, in the portion of the Bible that God used him to pen. Peter will write how that Satan is, is walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, and tonight, Satan is going to come around Peter's realm and roar, seeking to devour him. What can we learn about Satan? Well, we know that we know that Satan's great objective is to destroy people. Verse number 31, Jesus Christ said to Simon, 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 behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan wants to own you. Satan wants to take possession of you. 
Satan wants to overpower you. Simon, Satan has desired to have you. It's interesting that the word that Jesus used, Satan has desired to have you. Now, in our Bible, the Bible's very clear. The, you know, some people complain about the these and the thous. Uh, the yous and the these, all of those pronouns that seem, that's not just archaic English. The translators are alerting you to something important. The word you is always the pronoun that is plural. In the South, we would say y'all, you all. You is a plural pronoun in the Bible. You all. Satan hath desired to have you all. Jesus is talking about the apostles. These are the guys that are going to be thrust out to evangelize the world. These are the 12 men. They're going to turn the world upside down, the Bible tells us. These are the men that Jesus Christ has poured his life into. And after his resurrection, we'll send them out into the world to evangelize the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. These are the guys. And Satan wants that group of men. Jesus didn't say Simon Peter want, or Satan wants you, Peter. He said Satan wants you all, men. It's the plural pronoun. Satan wants possession of this group of men. He wants to thwart the mission of world evangelism. He wants to stop it dead in its track before it gets out of the chute. He wants to attack you men. Satan desires to have possession of God's people. The word Satan means adversary. That's what the word Satan means. The word devil means accuser. He is our adversary because he is our accuser. As the devil, he goes to God and he accuses us. He says, God, did you see what he just did? He's the accuser of the brethren to God. He's the devil. But here, Jesus said, Satan. The word Satan means my enemy, my adversary. The one who is my opponent. The one who wants to take me down. The one who wants to destroy my life. The one who wants to ruin me. Jesus said, Simon, Satan desires to take possession of this group of men and conquer you so that you won't evangelize the world. Satan wants you in his trophy case. He wants to gloat over you. He wants to walk around and show all of his demon buddies, the believers in his trophy case, that he has ruined their lives and taken and destroyed them. He wants you, men, in his trophy case. He laughs at your ineffectiveness. He mocks your failure. He makes fun of your weakness. He ridicules your sin. He wants to destroy your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. You know, Satan's alive and well today. Satan wants to destroy the effectiveness of Christians in America today. He wants to shut us down, marginalize us. He wants to take away any influence and any voice. He wants to strip us off from places of media. He wants to destroy the effectiveness and influence and voice of Christian people today. He mocks 
God's people as he is the adversary who wants to destroy. Now, what does Satan want to do with this, this group of men? Satan hath desired to have you as a group of men, that he may sift you as a group of men, that he may sift you as wheat. Now, what is that all about, sift you as wheat? Probably most of you in this room have never sifted wheat. You have never taken wheat and put it through a process to break away the, uh, the chaff from the outer, uh, the outer chaff from the grain, the, the kernel of wheat, so that you can capture that wheat and then grind it into flour and make delicious homemade bread. You, you probably never started with a bushel basket of wheat right off the field. To, to sift wheat was to take the wheat and to put it through this process that will break up the chaff that surrounds the kernel so they can kind of throw it up in the air and let the wind blow the chaff away because it, it's lighter than the kernel of wheat so they can capture the wheat and make something good out of it. Now, what Jesus Christ is alluding to here when he says Satan wants to take you and put you in his sieve and sift you. He wants to beat you down. He wants to shake you down. He wants to break you up. He wants to ruin you. He wants to take possession of you and break you down. Jesus Christ in the upper room. Uh, in John's account of the upper room experience, you've heard me say on Sunday mornings that Matthew, Mark, and Luke just give us some highlights, but John gives us a much fuller picture of what Jesus taught. Twice in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You see, Jesus is preparing this group of men because Satan is on the prowl to destroy the very team that Jesus will send to evangelize the world. And Jesus, twice in John 14 told his disciples, his apostles there in the upper room, let not your heart be troubled. That word troubled means to be agitated. It's, it's the picture of the, the agitator in the washing machine. When you see that, when you, when you open the lid of the washing machine, when it's, when it's in the wash cycle, and that agitator is just going back and forth and back and forth, and those clothes are just going around and around, and water is turbulent, and, and, and it's being agitated, and Jesus Christ said, don't let your heart be agitated. Neither let it be afraid. Because Satan is on the prowl to destroy a group of 12 men to keep them from evangelizing the world. And Jesus is, is concerned. He's warning. He's speaking to them about what is in front of them. Satan is the adversary who wants to bring turmoil and trouble to the souls of these 12 men and shake them up. Satan wants to win the battle over these men to stop world evangelism. Something else I learned about Satan the hinderer. In verse number 32, Jesus said, I have prayed for thee. By the way, did you notice he said thee and not you? He didn't say I prayed for you. He points out Peter, thee, is the singular pronoun, personal pronoun. I have prayed for you, Peter, individually. Peter's going to face a personal attack. All of them are going to be attacked. But Peter's attack is going to be unique from the others. 
And Jesus now, after expressing that Satan wants to have the band of all, he now focuses on Peter as an individual. And he says, says, Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You see, Satan's attacks are aimed at our faith. He said, I'm attacking you that your faith fail not. What is faith? And how, how strong is your faith? Faith is confidence in God, isn't it? Faith is my confidence in God. When I placed my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation over 54 years ago, that night, that Sunday night, I got on my knees and I asked Jesus to come into my life and, and I placed my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, to save me from the sin that was sending me to hell. When I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I put my confidence in Jesus Christ. I'm not trusting me to be good enough. If my salvation depended on me, I'd still be lost. I put my faith, my confidence, my trust in Jesus Christ. Satan is attacking these men's confidence In Jesus Christ. Is he really who he claimed to be? Will he really do what he said he was going to do? Can he really help me in my life? Will he really answer my prayers? Satan hath desired to have thee. He wants to destroy you, Peter, as the leader. That your confidence in God will fail. And you'll begin to doubt and question God. In verse number 55 we read, we skipped toward the end of the chapter and read how that later on this evening after they go out into the Garden of Gethsemane and after that Garden of Gethsemane experience, Judas shows up leading the band of Roman soldiers and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and they lead them out into the Garden of Gethsemane where he found out Jesus was. And he, and he went up and he kissed Jesus on the cheek, the sign that he had priorly, uh, prior to that given those Roman soldiers, the one I kissed on the cheek, that's Jesus. He's the one you want to take. After, when, when, when all of that was going down, and that happened, and the, the disciples, the apostles fled in the middle of the night, and the Roman soldiers drug Jesus off to Caiaphas' house, and there he's gone through a mock of a Jewish trial. They, 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 the procession of people had taken him into the house, into Caiaphas' house, and outside uh, someone had lit a fire, and they were warming their hands by the fire, waiting to see how this was going to all turn out, and Peter showed up. And, and, and Peter's sitting there by the fire. And, and Peter's wondering what's going through his mind. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what, what he's imagining is happening here. I wonder if he got to thinking like John the Baptist did when he was in Fort Machairis after being arrested in prison before they cut his head off. I wonder if, like John the Baptist, who began to question, did I make a mistake? Is it the wrong guy? And he sent some people to go find Jesus up in Galilee and ask him and said, are you the one that should come? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Maybe Peter's beginning to doubt. Maybe Peter's thinking, I wonder if, 
I wonder if this has all been real. And all of a sudden, his faith is attacked. His confidence in God is attacked. Jesus said, Satan wants to have you, Peter. He wants to cause your faith to fail. And here's Peter warming his hands by the enemy fire. All of a sudden, as he's deep in thought, someone says, hey, there's one of his disciples. He's one of the guys that have been following Jesus these, these three years. And out of Peter's mouth, I don't think he thought about it. I don't think he planned what he was going to say. I, didn't, I don't think he studied out what his response was going to be. All of a sudden, he found coming out of his mouth, I don't know what you're talking about. All of a sudden, someone else says, I recognize the accent of your voice. You're a Galilean. You are one of his followers. I've never seen the man. I don't know who you're talking about. And after the third time, all of a sudden, a rooster announced the early morning hour. And when Peter heard that rooster, he realized he had doubted. He had questioned. He had even gone so far as to deny that he even knew who Jesus was. And he realized what Jesus Christ had told him had come true. And he broke down. He got up from the fire and he walked away from the crowd. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. You see, Satan wants to destroy your faith. He will orchestrate situations in your life. He will bring people across your path that will say things to you. That will cause you to question whether God is real. Whether Jesus is real. Whether the Bible is true. We live at a time in Western culture when the education system of America has for the last few generations pumped young people full of atheism and evolution. Denying the Bible's true. Denying what the Word of God has to say. And generations now are living in adulthood, having been taught in, in, home, in their homes by their dad and mom, reading the Bible and teaching them what God said. What the, they heard preached on Sunday and what they heard in Sunday school. And they, they, they heard, they listened, but then they went off to school and then they went into university. And then the, the professors mock Christianity, all those Neanderthals don't have any sense but to believe some book written thousands of years ago. And they mock Christianity and they mock God. And then the person begins to ask, could my dad and mom be wrong? Is the preacher wrong? Is Sunday school teacher wrong? Certainly my Ph.D. tenured professor can't be wrong. I mean, they know everything. And they begin to doubt. I love the little clip that we still have. We've had it on for a couple of years. It's still on the home, on our main screen of our website. The little, uh, the little video clip that a group of scientists, Christian scientists, 
recorded when they went down to some universities in the United States into the South, the Bible Belt of the South. They went to these secular universities and they were uh, questioning and recording students in the university. And they would ask them, uh, did, did you grow up going to church? And, and did you grow up uh, being taught the Bible? And, and, and do you still believe the Bible? Do you still go to church? And, and they, they videoed all these and they found that, that a lot of them grew up in church, was taught the Bible, but now they've thrown it all away. Because their professors have taught them that there is no God. That we got here from monkeys, from animals, from evolution. And then they ask, do you still go to church? No. No, because I, I don't believe that stuff anymore. But then they found a body of students who said, yeah, I still go to church. Yeah, I still believe the Bible. And they asked them, why, why do you still believe the Bible in spite of what you're being taught in your secular university? And they said, because in church, we had creation scientists come and show scientifically that the world around us screams at us a young earth and no evolution from species to species. And when we listen to scientists explain the world around us and how that it matches what the Bible says, we begin to have confidence that the educated secularists really don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't make a lick of sense. It takes you the Grand Canyon, took millions of years to form. And then they scratch their head when Mount St. Helens carved out a canyon in a matter of hours. Someone went to Mount St. Helens today, they would say it took millions of years to form this canyon. No, it took just a few hours and a whole lot of water. And all of a sudden, we realize that the lies of the secularists don't make sense in a real world. But the lens of Scripture makes perfect sense. You go to Missoula in the north. West United States and see what happened when the body of land broke loose and those, that those waters came down from Missoula and how, what it carved out in a short period of time. I mean, the real world backs up the Bible. And the young people who, went, who, who survived the secularist training of secular university were those who were connected to real Christian scientists who showed that a real world gives multiple evidences that what we read in the Bible is true. But Satan is alive and well today to destroy the confidence of people in the Word of God. He wants to destroy people's faith. And then something else I learned about Satan. Satan loves it when he can find someone that's overconfident. In verse number 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. I'll not deny you, Jesus. I'm not going to question you. I'm not going to have my faith take a hit. You can kill me right to the grave. Oh, Peter was so cocky. He was so confident. He was so assured that, that he could withstand whatever Satan threw at him. Satan loves to find people that are overly confident. People that would say, my family's strong. Our kids would never fail. 
I'll never fall to the power of lust. Pornography holds no power over me. I would never quit on God. That's the perfect person for Satan to attack. He saw Peter's overconfidence and attacked Peter at the point of his weakness. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said years ago in London, England, he said, Satan is more cunning than the wisest. How soon he entangled Solomon. He's stronger than the strongest. How fatally he overthrew Samson. And yes, men after God's own heart like David have been led to those grievous sins by his seductions. When you examine the strength of Satan in his attack, you realize he's a foe to be, to be dealt with. But that's not the important part of this message. There's a second character. Because whenever Satan seeks to hinder the people of God, Jesus Christ comes in as the great helper. What do we know about Jesus? I see in verse number 32 that Jesus knew what Simon's future was. You know, it's great to know that Jesus knows my future. Jesus said, I pray for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, he didn't say if thou art converted. He said, you're going to be converted from this episode of trial. You're going to go through this thing. Satan's going to attack you viciously. And and you're going to go through this horrible battle. And when you come through this battle, you're going to be changed back. You're going to be converted. You're going to revert back to your confidence in God. And I've got a job for you to do that you're going to be assigned when that happens in your life. He knew Simon Peter's future. In verse number 34, I tell thee, the cock shall not crow this day till thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Jesus knew what was in Peter's future. By the way, he knows what's in your future. He knows what you're going to face this week. He knows what I'm going to face this week. I see that Jesus is personally concerned. He said in verse number 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. Simon, Simon. Do you feel the empathy in that Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you? Jesus cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. And then in verse 32, he says, I have prayed for thee. I love that. Jesus is praying. He's already been praying. I have been praying for you. Jesus said to Simon Peter, wonderful. Jesus knows my future. He's concerned about me. And he prayed. he's already been praying for me before I face the battle. Well, that all brings three words into my, into my vocabulary. When I think of Jesus as the helper, I think of these words. Jesus Christ has sympathy. He has sympathy. Or some might say understanding. He has sympathy or understanding. He knows, Jesus knows from experience what it's like to be attacked by Satan. Remember what happened to him right after his baptism and his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness? Jesus knows by experience what it is for Satan to attack. Jesus knows that Satan is vicious in his attack on godly people. Jesus knows by experience. He's going to experience the next day the full brutal attack in his crucifixion. He understands. You know, it's powerful when somebody comes to us and says, I understand what you're going through. And then we find out 
that they really do understand what we're going through. Because they had gone through the very same thing at some point in their life. And they knew exactly what I'm going through. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, I understand. I have sympathy for what you're going through. Hebrews 4, 14 says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched. You like double negatives? I don't like double negatives. For we do have a high priest who is touched. That's what a double negative does to it. We don't have a high priest who's not touched. He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He has sympathy because he has experience. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Jesus became human, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor, S-U-C-C-O-R-U, we don't use that word in the English language too much anymore, to succor or to succor. It means to run to your side to help you in a problem you're facing. He, is, he has suffered being tempted that he might be able to Secure them which are tempted. He can come and help me at the moment of my need when I'm tempted by Satan to doubt God and question God and have my faith attacked. Oh, First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon Him for He cares for you. Jesus really does care. I'm so glad Jesus cares. He cares from a sympathetic heart. He cares from an understanding heart. That's why He became human. God became human, walked in human flesh, faced human temptations, went through all the trials and testings and temptations that you and I face, yet without ever sinning in those temptations, so that He could come to us when we're tempted, and He could say to us, I know what you're going through. I know how you feel. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I know what it's like that you're suffering and going through. Jesus Christ is my helper because he has a sympathetic heart. He's also my helper. I'm going to jump to number three. He's also my helper because he comes to me with encouragement, or some would say with hope. Verse number 32 says, I have prayed for thee. I love that. I have prayed for thee. That thy faith fail not. I have prayed for thee. Peter. You haven't even gotten into the sieve yet. The battle hasn't even begun yet. It won't start till in the middle of the night tonight when you watch them drag me off this Caiaphas house. It hadn't even started yet. But I've already been praying for you. I'm glad that Jesus Christ prays for me before I'm even aware that I'm going to go through a trial in my life. He's such an encouragement to me. And you know, he's going to continue to pray for Peter. Say, how do you know that? 
Because I've read John 17. The prayer Jesus prayed as Jesus was walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane, which is after they left the upper room. So Jesus is in the upper room saying this to Peter, I have prayed for thee, I've already prayed for thee. But then the record shows us that as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. John 17 has that phenomenal prayer that Jesus prayed. Let me just read you a couple of verses of it, what Jesus is going to pray as he walks toward Gethsemane. In verse number 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Jesus said, I'm praying for these 12 guys. They belong to you, Father. Everything that I have belongs to you. They belong to me. I love them. I'm glorified in them. And now... I am no more in the world. He's going to die in a few hours. But these are in the world to come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Hold me fast. Hold me fast. I can't hold on. I can't get myself saved. I can't keep myself saved. If I got what I deserved right now, I would immediately be in hell forever. God, would you keep them? Would you guard them? Would you hold them fast? And then he comes down a little bit further on. In verse number 15, he says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Jesus on the way to Gethsemane, that's where the battle is going to rage with Peter. That's where it's going to be unleashed against Peter. And on the way to the garden, Jesus continues praying for these 12 men of which Peter is one. And says, God, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world and take them to heaven. I'm asking for you to guard them, keep them, hold them from evil in this wicked world. You see, Jesus Christ comes with great hope and encouragement. And that great, and ho- great hope and encouragement is wrapped in His prayer life. His prayer life. Jesus' prayer life for me and for you. Peter, I have already been praying. I'm going to keep praying. That the Father will hold you fast. Keep you from evil in this world. Let me give you the last word. It's number two in your little worksheet there. It's the word counsel. Counsel. You see, Jesus counseled Peter about what was going to happen and what he was supposed to do. Peter's going to go through a dark night. He's going to deny that he knows Christ multiple times. He's actually going to curse as he denies Christ multiple times. His faith is going to be shaken in Satan's sieve, breaking him apart, attacking him to take possession of him. And as Satan is crushing and breaking and grinding and shaking Peter's life, Jesus says, I want to counsel you, Peter. I want, you to, I want to tell you what's coming. Three times before the cock crows tomorrow, you're going to deny. I'm praying for you. I've already prayed. I'm going to keep praying. 
that your confidence in me won't fail. Now, Peter, I want you to know something. You're going to make it through this. He didn't say, and if thou art converted. He said, when thou art converted. It's not a question as to whether Peter's going to make it through this trial. Jesus counseled Peter that he is going to make it through this trial. Jesus' prayer life will be successful. Peter will make it through the trial. And Jesus counseled Peter. By the way, he's going to be converted. The word converted just means to be changed or to revert back to something or to change directions in something. The first time Peter was converted was when God saved him, eternally saved him from his sin. But now in this trial, he's going to be rattled to the core and he's going to revert back to his confidence in God. He's going to change back to having boldness and confidence in God. And when that happens, and when you are reverted back, and when the the Spirit of God gives you boldness and courage again, you're going to strengthen the other Christians around you. Oh, he went through a dark night that night. And then on Jesus' resurrection, on, on the third day, uh, Jesus Christ met with them and breathed on them. And the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the body of Peter for the first time. And he was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And then they were going to hang around Jerusalem for a few weeks, praying and seeking God waiting for the Holy Spirit to take control of evangelism on earth. And then on the Sunday, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers gathered together, all of a sudden the boldness of Peter came alive. And Peter got up and preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 souls got saved and baptized and joined the church in one day. Oh, Jesus is counseling Peter. Peter, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to be hard. It's going to be, Satan's going to attack you. But you're going to make it through this. You're going to come through this. And when you revert back to your strength and confidence and boldness that you've exhibited the last three years of my ministry, you're going to strengthen the believers around you. And he wrote that wonderful book of First Peter that is all about handling trials and temptations in your life successfully. He knew what he was talking about. Jesus had counseled him through his trial unto the place of his service for Jesus Christ. Wow. Jesus Christ comes to me and he says, I know how you feel. Jesus Christ comes to me and gives me hope. He says, I, I'm I've already been praying for you. And Jesus Christ comes to me with counsel and says, here's what I want you to do. And you know Jesus does those same three things to you and I. He comes to you and says, I know what you're going through. He comes to you and says, I've already been praying for you. And he puts hope in your heart. And then he says, here, open your Bible and read over here. Let me counsel you. Psalm 119.24, thy testimonies... Also are my delight and my counselors. Listen to the word of God. Let the word of God counsel you in what God wants you to do. Jesus Christ is my helper. Whenever Satan hinders, Jesus comes to help me in that time of difficulty. With a sympathetic heart, with hope, 
and with counsel. So the big question is, does Satan attack me today? Are you dealing with things in your life that you know are spiritual in nature? Are you dealing with things in your life where you sense and know that there's a war going on? And you've found yourself even at night and you lay your head on your pillow wondering, is it really real? All this stuff dad and mom taught me, is it really true? What the preacher preached last Sunday, could, could that actually really be true? And you begin to feel the battle for your faith, for your confidence in God. Listen. Listen for the voice of Jesus Christ. He'll come to you and He'll say, I know, I know. And, and I've been praying for you. And you're going to go through this. And you're going to grow stronger because of it. And I'm going to use you to do greater things afterwards. Because of the experience you gain in Satan's sin. Satan thinks that he's going to destroy you. What he doesn't realize, God is using what he's doing to strengthen you and make you stronger than you'd have ever been without the satanic attack on your confidence in God.